The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. Hi, everybody. Really good to see you. Hello from California, from the Bay Area. Uh, my name is Secho. I'm one of the senior students at Zendo. And I'm really... Um, Glad to join you, particularly uh, at what feels to me a very uh, peaceful time of day, um, particularly here because it's three hours earlier. <laughs> um, I love seeing all our faces and spaces. I'm not sure if you can see me. Is it a little dark or is it okay? It's okay. All right. So it's just my screen. It's just the way I'm seeing. Yeah. Um, but you're helping to lighten that up. <laughs> um, as it always is, when we gather this way together to practice, it feels really good. Um, And particularly right now, I don't know how it is for you, but I think for many of us, certainly myself included, uh, it's been a very raw and a very tender time, which has included a lot of exposure to catastrophe, to brutality, to complexity of how to be with all of this and also how to respond. And that can be quite difficult. So we speak a lot in Zen and in Buddhism about refuge. To begin with, the three refuges of Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And we also speak of living by vow, our bodhisattva vow, to awaken with everyone. To awaken to the wholeness of life, life which includes birth and death. What we don't speak of nearly as often, I think, is uh, imagining this practice and also this vow as a sanctuary. It's not a word we, at least in my experience, uh, we hear a lot um, in our zendos. Uh, when I hear that word, most often what comes to mind are the, the words, the teaching of uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who wrote in a book entitled The Sabbath, talks about a sanctuary in time, the Sabbath. He writes, the Sabbath is a day on which we're called upon to share in what is eternal in time, to turn from the world of creation to the mystery of creation. 
from the world of creation to the creation of the world. So just let that sink in for a moment. You know, what that might be for you. Yeah. Different religions celebrate, different Abrahamic religions celebrate the Sabbath on different days of the week, and yet resting in that eternal in time, that sanctuary in time. Maybe all time can be a sanctuary. As we say, any day is a good day to practice. And I think this is closely aligned with uh, Dogen Zenji's understanding of time, time being. Dogen, our Zen ancestor who also lived through quite difficult, tumultuous times, times of great conflict, violence. So thank goodness, for instance, yesterday we had a Zazenkai, a monthly time to practice together. And because I'm out here in the Bay Area, uh, synchronistically, this also was a monthly day of practice at the Berkeley Zen Center, which I attended in person. And I was very aware of all of us sitting together. So what's that sanctuary? This sitting together, this being time. In Dogen's commentary on the Heart Sutra, it's called the Maka Hanya Haramitsu. He points to what this sanctuary is. He speaks of our embodiment and what is our embodiment. As we just chanted a few minutes ago, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, mind, consciousness. The way I hear him speaking in that fascicle is that he's speaking of our embodiment, what uh, in, you know, Buddhist speak called skandhas, sometimes aggregates. Uh, this is really our humanity. Our embodiment is our humanity. And he says that it's expressing prajna, wisdom, you could say heart wisdom or understanding the wisdom of emptiness, or what Thich Nhat Hanh calls interbeing. And Dogen writes, the 12 sense fields are 12 instances of prajnaparamita. And the, the 12 sense fields are talking about all these senses and mind and the objects of so the technical detail is not so important. But what does that really mean? When we chanted in the Heart Sutra this morning, um, Avalokiteshvara, Bodhisattva, 
clearly saw emptiness of all the five conditions, thus completely relieving misfortune and pain. Wow. Have you experienced that lately? Relieving misfortune and pain through your embodiment? Not easy. And yet we chant it. We chant it together. Encourage one another. For me, the sanctuary really shows up when we get to this line. Thus, the Bodhisattva lives Prajnaparamita. Life that includes birth and death. Life that's coming alive through our vow. What is that? That's clear seeing. Seeing with the prajna eye that can see through to our, we could say, shared humanity. And for me, this is also quite personal. Over the past month, I have been grieving. And I've returned again and again to what I experience as a sanctuary in grieving. And it's rough, reeling in moments with raw pain and shock and helplessness. And again, keeping it personal, which to be honest with you, I wondered in preparing this talk, how personal is appropriate? Because we each have our personal. But in this case, what I landed on, what, if you will, sitting with this, what came through as the wisdom of, of this moment, is that that's important, the specificity of that, placement of that. And so for me, this has been steady and in the wake of October 7, which was a day when I received a family group text during a Jewish holiday service I had joined online on that most joyous day on the Jewish calendar. It's called Simchat Torah, and it's the culmination of a holiday that celebrates dwelling in a fragile canopy of peace, a sanctuary, fragile one, known in Hebrew as Sukkot Shalom. And over those next hours, shock, and then searing pain rippled through me as I saw horrific images, later videos from somewhere, which did not feel far away, somewhere that felt intimately close. Not only a place, an affinity. I'm Jewish, I speak Hebrew, I lived in Israel for three years as a child. I have friends, many of them active in peacemaking, and I feel a kinship. This is very close. And also close is the terrible toll in Gaza. And that too, when I go deep, is personal. The intergenerational trauma, the heart-wrenching and maddening complexity in the war and war generally, 
something that Bokush's sensei touched on yesterday in his talk. This time also of Veterans Day. I have struggled to see in all this, to see with this prajna eye that can see the wholeness of the situation. And I wonder if you have too, if you still might be. The wholeness of life. And I've needed a sanctuary. And I've also felt and sometimes just in the flow of things, I'm called to respond. Facing conflict at the high school where I teach mindfulness, Jewish and Arab American teachers both feeling unsafe. A Jewish colleague confided that she switched out her Magin David, so-called Jewish star necklace, with a Hamza. First, out of fear, and then out of a longing for a shared symbol, some way to be close. And this closeness, this sanctuary of grieving, flows back to the closeness of being a New Yorker on 9-11 more than 20 years ago. At any time, there is somewhere and something happening that is close in a particular way for each of us. Gaza, Israel, Ukraine, then and there, here and now. I'm grieving also and reeling from an intense increase since October 7th of anti-Semitism, of hate and violence directed towards Jews all over the world. Here in the Bay Area, in New York, in college campuses, a rabbi murdered in Detroit who was active in Jewish-Muslim partnerships, in Europe, in Canada, in Africa, and Australia. Yesterday, when Bokshu Sensei spoke about these current wars and how to face and be intimate with the world, he reminded us of a fam famous line in a dialogue from a koan, what do you call the world? We might say in this historic moment, how is the world close to you? How can I, how can we dwell in a sanctuary that includes such closeness when it means opening to visceral and horrific pain? Yours and mine. What language shall we speak to go there? These issues are so complex. The rhetoric, the social media posts, the ability to see directly, seemingly, while also sifting through so much spin and so much vitriol. It's overwhelming. And yet, what does it look like not to be complacent? I don't know all the answers. I'm not in the middle of a war zone. And yet, the world is right here. So what can I offer? What can you offer? What can we offer? And this is where the sanctuary of our Zen peacemaker tenets really hold us and help us to see and to hear and to touch what's real, what's really important. Not knowing, bearing witness, healing action. So here's the thing. When the pain really feels off scale, how do you get to not knowing? How do you get there? In my experience, grief is the way. 
It's our common language for being close. And grief speaks in so many ways. The howling wail and the hushed whimper. The shock, near numb silence. I've experienced all of these in the past month. How about you? And I breathe them in. And there are different Buddhist devices, practices to do that. There's Tonglen, exchanging self and other, really breathing that in and then breathing out. Bearing witness. But in Sazen, we sit and we keep turning towards. And when it's too much, trauma-sensitive practices continue to um, be explored. Sometimes we get up and we do kinhen for a while. You know, during a memorial service, um, the officiating priest, after reading a Dharma statement, wails. What is that? It's clean pain, healing, moving through us, our embodiment, our humanity. It's the cry of the world of being one with that grief. It's the sanctuary. It's a somatic sanctuary. And there's a koan in the Book of Serenity that really speaks to this. It's case four. The world honored one points to the ground. As the world honored one was walking with the Sangha, he pointed to the ground with his finger and said, this spot is good for building a sanctuary. Indra, emperor of the gods, took a blade of grass, stuck it in the ground and said, the sanctuary is built. The world honored one smiled. And some lines in the verse include, Picking up what comes to hand, he uses it knowingly. Everywhere life is sufficient in its way, no matter if one is as clever as others. We can be vulnerable. We are enough. In this breath, the sanctuary is built in lifting up what is close at hand and planting it. What emerges can really grow and be of benefit. And this is what helped me this month to co-organize a vigil, which was called 
a vigil for stability and compassion in the Middle East. This is also how I dealt with a conflict at the school where I work. It's also how I joined a weekly listening circle with American and Israeli Sangha through an organization rooted in the Plum Village tradition called Mindful Peace Building. And just a few days ago, this past Thursday, it's how I landed in a Zen peacemaker circle. And some in the Sangha were there as well. In that peacemaking circle, there were about, I don't know, 150, maybe closer to 200 participants. And we were gathered to listen to four people living in the region, in Israel and in the West Bank, who have relatives and roots in Gaza. And one of these folks was Sammy Awad, who lives in uh, Bethlehem, I think, and he's executive director of Holy Land Trust. And someone asked him, and I should say that the four people who spoke are all very involved in, in peacework and peacemaking. And someone asked Sami at some point if he, at this point, had hope. And he actually spoke of how hopeless everyone is. And then he paused. And he said that from this space of no hope, when all the old ways are gone, the old ways of trying to work for peace and so on, advocate ceaselessly, work for justice. When all of those old ways are gone, and by the way, this is something that I've also heard Israeli peacemakers echo in recent weeks. Yet none of these folks stops there. What Sami said was that in the spaciousness of no hope, new hope can emerge. He said, We'll meet. We'll meet again. We'll trigger each other in our respective trauma. And in the end, we'll hug. Listen to each other. Listen to the pain. And that was his encouragement. Listen to the one you really don't want to listen to. Listen through the pain. And there's the hope. It's the way when no one knows, because war and peace flow together, and hope and hopelessness flow through each other. So let's sit with that for a minute. Just breathe that in, what that is for you right now. That pain, that grief, hopelessness, helplessness whatever that is for you right now, and where it's landing in the body. 
See what happens as you keep turning towards and breathe out. And as is our practice, we breathe in and widen the awareness to wherever and whomever comes to mind. Here in this breath, the sanctuary is built. I want to close with a story and a poem. Story is very short. A few weeks ago, I was on a hill over in Marin County that overlooks the bay. And I saw a deer. Never seen a deer there before. I go to that particular hill quite often, but saw a deer. And the deer saw me. And often in those moments, you have a moment, you have, you have a little while where you kind of hang together and then one of you moves. But in this case, we stood there a long time. really stayed with me so much so that the next morning as I was sitting this poem came through me and I'll close with this it's called Being Seen I see you do you come as friend or foe. I don't know who you are. Shadows of war imprinted long ago meet earth and sky. Now, here, we stand, not turning away this breath, your gaze, inexplicably intimate, closes the distance between us, opening a pathway to possibility.